Uh, welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, proud to have uh, two great guests with me, uh, Andy Fessner, the pole coach at uh, Brockport, and we have the strength and conditioning coach and the throws coach from SUNY Brockport, Ed Jeskolski. Uh, uh, Jeskolski. Jeskolski, sorry. <laughs> Damn it. Um, and you'd think I'm Eastern European. I shouldn't mess up your name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for being on, on the podcast, guys. I just want to open up, uh, I guess, first, it's Division Three Nationals weekend. Um, we just finished day one. I, you know, I've been to high school nationals. I've been to a lot of state meets and stuff, but I feel like there's nothing like an NCAA Division Three Nationals weekend. Um, I'm sure Division Two and Division One are also just as awesome. But I want to get your thoughts on that. Like, what do you? How do you feel about this weekend? Uh, I mean, I know Andy with you. You know, you obviously go to a lot of state meets and stuff like that, and high school nationals as well. How does this rank for you, experience-wise? Does this stand out? Oh, absolutely. This uh, this meet is just—it's so special. It's got you know the best athletes, uh, the best coaches. Uh, you can see the excitement in the air. I mean, everybody's smiling. People are excited to be there. Uh, parents coming in from all over the place. It's just yeah, the best of the best athletes. You know, the and the and the best conditions with the best equipment. And a lot of amazing things happen from, you know, athletes uh, all across the country. It's, it's wonderful to be part of it. Yeah, and talk about equipment, I mean, and facilities. Uh, North Central, amazing. Like, this indoor facility is unbelievable. And then, you know, they have the second indoor track, which is a practice area. Right. I mean, it's not a full indoor track, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, having, having the, the, to actually have a warm-up area that is a track instead of some rolled-out runways right. over a gym floor like you do run into. Yeah. And I mean that even continuing with that of how far uh, the division three meet has come Mm -hmm. video monitors, the same video and uh, audio production that you have at the D one, the D twos. Right. I mean the fact that you're jumping just to the example of pole bolt. I mean this weekend you're jumping on a $30,000 pit system with a $20,000 standard system. Right. Right. They were saying, might not even be at the other meets this right, weekend. Right, So, I mean, if that's true or not, whatever. Yeah. But the fact that our kids are jumping on stuff that you're going to see on TV soon. Right, and and the, the live webcast. I mean, I remember one year, uh, you know, Andrew Brown, who you guys know, my buddy, I, I swear he was texting me like, good job before my before my girl cleared the bar. That's, so that's right. how awesome it is. You can kind of keep track of it mm-hmm. even if you're at home. Uh, and. Like you guys said too, like su- such a great meet. Like the the competition level, the records that get broken, and and just how different people react. I mean, you you have the highs of the highs, and then you have the lows of the lows. You see some people who kind of crumble under that pressure sometimes, but that's what makes it the meet that it is. Like I always tell people, um, and I'm sure like lifting wise, Ed, like I've read stuff from Dave Tate and stuff where it's like it there there's that moment when you're coaching at nationals where it's like nothing else matters. And you're like hypersensitive. You can feel like, you know, if it was outdoors, you can feel where the wind is going. Right. You can sense what's going on. And you just, those little things are just even more focused and highlighted at, at the Division Three meet, you know? No, I agree. Um, and I mean, I'm sure it happens the same at the, the D1s and the D2s. And I don't want to say that we're on autopilot at this point of the season. I mean, but it's really the fine-tuning of there's no major changes going today. No. Tomorrow. I mean, that the cliche of the haze in the barn at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, just trying to get the kids pointed in the right direction or providing them with the right atmosphere, giving them the, the, the best chance to be successful. Um, I think is what's happening at this point. And you, you see it across the board, all coaches. involved. In that. Well, and it's funny you say that, you know, it's like 
really everybody's set. You know, you've done your work, you're coming here and kind of like, I remember reading Sam Kendricks posted something last year about championship meets. Like, don't try to do anything special. If you just do what you normally do, you're going to have success at a championship meet. And look at today, like what, what did it take to qualify uh, this weekend, Andy, on the men's side? Well, uh, you had to jump, you know, 492. Um, well, actually they took 490, but... So 490 to get in, which is what? That's 16, one and a quarter? Yeah, over 16 feet. Yeah. And what did it take to be All-American today? Uh, it was actually 490 as well, but you had to jump that like first attempt. Right. But, but so there, there you go. That's like a perfect example. It's like if as long as you just do what got you here, uh, you know, you're probably in a position to, to yeah. do something. I mean, I've been telling my athletes that for years, uh, both as a, from a throws coach perspective and even when I was director of the program. Um, the it's always been do what you did to qualify into the meet, right? And that's pretty much going to be your all American status, right? It's let the other people that are going to push a little too hard, yeah, take say, chances that they shouldn't. Yeah, like, I mean, if you're in, if you came into the meet in a, in a top nine position, top eight position, I mean, yeah, you're going to have your kids that are going to have those big PRs and make those jumps. But you're also going to have those one and two seeds that are going to falter. The pressure's on them. Right, right. And and so that's, like you said, don't make any big changes. Like maybe, you know what, don't try that new pull that you haven't tried yet. Or, or, or let's say if you're at an eight left approach, don't go to a nine left approach. And I'm sure in the throws, it's like, let's not add a spin this week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're a two-turner and we've never done a three, like, why'd you add a toe? Like, what, what are you doing? Right. Yeah, yeah. And the, the idea of doing the simple things extraordinarily well or – you know, starting simple and getting more complex still applies to this meet. Um, like you said, there's there's nothing we're really going to throw out there. I mean, there are things you have in your back pocket where you're just like in the pole vault, you know that you may have to eventually grip up a little bit higher or right. back a little bit longer, but you know that you got to start simple. Right. You got to let that come. You got to let yeah. that happen instead Absolutely. of forcing it. I mean, I'm sure, Andy, you've noticed uh, through years that you go to a meet and sometimes the kid and that and the coach are trying to force a grip or a pull instead of letting it smoothly transition during the meet, you know? Um, so to, to go more specifically into your program, uh, Andy, you, you run the pole end of the program. Um, how did that come about? Like, how did, how did you start coaching at Brockport? How did you develop the program there? Because you, you guys have had a lot of success. You've had a national champ with Zach Ferrara and, and several All-Americans. Yeah, well, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, that passion kind of comes from the fact that I was a pole vaulter. Um, I had been, you know, kind of me mentored by some pole vaulters as well. When I was uh, in high school, my, uh, actually my high school earth science teacher kind of brought me out, okay. you know, showed me the pole vault. He was an old uh, steel pole, stiff pole vaulter kind of thing. Okay. And he was like kind of learning like how do you teach, you know, flexible pole vaulting or vaulting with a fiberglass pole. Okay. So that was, that was fun just getting you into it and uh, it's it was great to have someone show me just the the little intricacies of pole vault and the basics. Um, once I went to college, I was actually uh, taken, you know, with we were in a program that was kind of small and uh, maybe just starting out, didn't have much facilities, okay. you know. So we got through with, um, you know, just like cause and effect kind of things, like taking video and then reviewing it, um, you know, sort of seeing what some other guys are doing. Um, you know, we're, you're in college, so you're a student of the sport. You're right. Like, oh, what can we do to, you know, work on our swing? What can we do to work on our takeoff? And um, uh, my college par pole vault partner was Matt Scheffler, uh, who is yeah. actually uh, the coach at Ethic College, which 
I'm sure we could talk about eventually. Yeah, well. yeah. Matt, Matt coached today, and he coached Kat Pittman to a meet record, and she actually set the indoor national record. Uh, it was it she, four, she broke it twice this year. This yeah, did, was it four twenty five? Yeah, that's what it is now. Yeah. Yeah, and today she jumped four eighteen, and so awesome job. Congrats to them with the national championship, and it was kind of funny. I was hoping Matt could come too. Because I almost feel like in in that upstate New York area, there's almost like a Matt Scheffler like family tree of, <laughs> yeah, really. of pole vaulting. Yeah, he really he really was the father of our, our pole vaulting system at Brockport. Um, and you know, once once we you start to see those results, like you start to see by certain types of training, you know, the improvement, and that's what got me hooked on it. That's what got me into coaching. I wanted to give back to the college. I wanted to give back to the kids that were there, mm-hmm. and just increase the knowledge. And at that point in time, too, it was early on in the pole vault. Um, there was a lot of safety issues. I mean, right. you probably remember just there was uh, just, unfortunately, a lot more depths, a lot more ignorance in the pole vault. The pits were smaller, you know, yeah. no, no box collars and different safety equipment they have now and the larger size pits. So at that time, we actually did a clinic based on safety. Um, yeah. You know, just trying to improve safety and, and also knowledge in the pole vault. And there's been a lot, several more uh, things have developed from to increase, you know, coaches' knowledge. And you can see that in results now, and like the national meet now. You can see what the girls and guys are jumping now. I mean, as D3 meet uh, has become so competitive, it's, it's extremely Well, last year even, uh, you know, uh, Winder, he, he jumped higher than the Division One meet last That's year, example, you know, yeah. indoors. So, yeah, the marks are, are getting better and better. Um, and and so, Ed, now you, you deal with the strength and conditioning on the pole vault, and like the, the kids work with you. How does that come about? How do you guys work with that cohesively? Because I know a lot of kids who end up going to colleges where it seems like the pole vault is almost their rest day practice, and then there's sprints and lifts every other day, um, or vice versa. All they do is pole vault, and they don't really train. You know, what would you guys recommend? Because you know, you, you have such great knowledge in the pole vault, and you have such great knowledge with strength and conditioning. How did you guys come about to make it work? Like, what's your what's the Brockport system? Well, I mean, I really, unless it's a secret and you don't uh, want to tell. <laughs> there, that's the thing is there's there's no secrets out there. I mean, and I in all the strength and conditioning like I do. I mean, uh, I always tell kids there's a there's a right way, there's a wrong way, and there's everything being done in between. <laughs> and um, but no, I mean, Andy and I really just had got together. Uh, I mean, a couple of years ago and talking, how can we merge? I have some ideas. Do you have some ideas? How can we do a collaboration? And okay. it was basically a conversation of what do you want to see these kids start doing more of? And, I mean, just introducing more strength into what they do, a little bit more explosive movements outside of um, the core isometric stuff. I mean, Andy had already had them doing a lot of plyometric stuff, a lot okay. of loaded uh, jumping stuff. Mm-hmm. And... I was like, okay, I mean, and let's let's see how strong we can get some of these kids. Okay. And I mean, Zach Ferreira was a great example for that with us of, I mean, Zach looked like he was getting ready to play linebacker at one point. Yeah. And I mean, I felt like he was all chest and all glutes. I like, mean, <laughs> he, he was all day strong. And then out, there's a lot of school of thought out there that would argue that maybe we were going in the wrong direction with that, but... I mean, he was stronger and faster than he had ever been at that point. And I don't know just, how that's a negative. <laughs> right. Right. So, um, and I mean, Brockport, we've kind of, uh, we have that niche of just having those big, strong kids. And I mean, I hear about it every week with the throws. Like, mm-hmm. Where are you finding these kids? What are you feeding these kids? It's like, well, I have a hard time ignoring strength. I mean, yeah. we need to have a base level of strength in everything we do. And then obviously you can start to individualize it. 
and make it more functional um, based on what requirements are going to be for the, the nature of whatever you're doing, the sport or the event. And I mean, we really just took a lot of the mechanics of the event apart mm-hmm. and said, okay, uh, how are we going to improve takeoff? How are we going to improve um, getting off the top of the pole? How they, and just working backwards at what exercises right. are actually going to work mechanically going to help this. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, at Rockport, I mean, being a physical education and exercise science biomechanic institution, um, we're privy to a lot of machinery and, and especially in our strength and conditioning facility that people don't have. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I've seen the facilities yeah, and you I guys mean, are very lucky. We're, we're very, we're very fortunate and I know that, but it's, you can have the most polished stuff and you're still not going to see results, results without some buy-in. And that was one thing is the kids have always, they're hungry. They yeah. want, okay, well, I deadlift X, I, I clean Y, I bench whatever, I squat this. I mean, the inner competition and yeah. you just start seeing results based on the training and kids just light up. Yeah, I mean, actually at, at my facility, uh, I just put up performance boards. Mm-hmm. I have a pole vault performance board and I just put up a, a weight training performance board. Sure. In the hopes that, you know, kids will see that and be like, I, I want to erase that person's name, mm-hmm. you know, and I even had a couple of practices. I'm like, look, I have some marks up there that are a few years old. We need to get rid of that. Yeah. Like, there's no reason that should still be up there, you know. And so that competition is great. And what I wanted to add, too, is like, you know, we're talking about facilities at Division Three Nationals, too, and how great they are. And you guys do have a great weight room. The thing that I think it escapes people all the time is. As much as facilities and equipment matter, it's the people that matter even more. Because there's plenty of institutions out there that have wonderful facilities and there's absolutely nothing happening at those schools. No progress. And definitely over the years, I've seen huge progress. I mean, Zach was a 12-6 vaulter in high school. um, I think he might have jumped 12-9 at the end of his senior year, but pretty much 12-6. Yeah, so under 13. So Zach Ferrer was an under 13 guy and probably not as big as he was his senior year. A little skinny guy. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, too, there's some people, I think in the pole vault community, there's those that argue, oh, we don't want to raise the body weight too high. And and I agree. There's like a point of sure. no return or a point of diminishing returns, I yes. should say. But the, the thing is, especially at the Division three level, we're not getting those natural studs. You know, we're not getting that kid that can just zoom down the runway without lifting for the most part. So if we don't produce some strength and power in them, they're, they're going to stay at that 13 foot bar, you know, there, there's a reason he went from that to 16, eight in, in college and then over 17 post collegiately. Um, but yeah, I think that's such a valuable part. I mean, what, what about you, Andy, on your end? Like, what did you notice once you guys started collaborating? Like, did you see the difference in, in, in the jumping, the pole selection, the grips, like how, how quickly did you notice those things? Oh, and the, the results are amazing. I mean, astonishing as far as just the uh, the transformation of a lot of the athletes, mm-hmm. um, you know, the acceleration through takeoff, uh, the explosiveness off the runway, the pole selection. Um, you know, you talk in the pole ball, we talk about sometimes how much that pole weight is above the actual body weight of the right, athlete. Right. I mean, we got t- guys taking in poles 25, 30 pounds over their weight. Right. I mean, and that's, that's not something that an average person can do. And do you think that's a reflection of the strength and conditioning? I, because I know at my club, I feel like it is like uh, a lot of times. Oh, it's definitely, that's, you know, it's probably like the whole like trifecta of, you know, being, uh, the, the weight training, it's the confidence and also just 
the coaches getting to know the athletes and knowing them so well that you know what they can handle and what they can do and what they can accomplish. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and and once you have you add that technical stuff and the strength and conditioning, they're they're going to get on bigger poles. I mean, just to use Zach again as an example, like when his freshman year, do you remember like what would he jump on? Like what what poles would he jump on? What would he finish out at freshman year? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, at when that, when Zach first started jumping, we actually didn't even have the facility we have now, and uh, we had a, we used a raised runway. You know, we mm-hmm. set it up in the gym, and so it was right. almost like a little bit of conditioning, just setting that runway up and taking it down. Yeah, but I mean, I think he was jumping on you know uh, thirteen six fourteen foot poles. Wow! Know? And so it's like taking in like a thirteen six sixty, you know. 1465, 1470, maybe at the time. And by um, the end of senior year, he was on a 156190. Wow. You know, and that I to me, I just don't see how that happens without the strength and conditioning portion. Yeah, I mean, Zach was a big proponent. I mean, he really bought in. I mean, he it it really changed his life and it became his passion and he would breathe that into other kids as well and even in different event groups and you said it perfectly too and where I've really seen it is confidence with our girls. There's just a different confidence that comes with strength and overall physical, like uh, how you see yourself physically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just that new confidence that comes with um, maybe even starting to prevent some injuries also. Yeah. Where you, you, you see yourself in a light where I used to do this before and I can never do this movement and now all of a sudden it's second nature because you're actually strong enough to perform something that you couldn't do. Yeah. I I would even say stuff like shin splints. A lot of times when kids aren't strong enough, they might start getting shin splints or little achy things like that, where once they get strong enough, they can, their workload or work capacity raises before they start to see any of those issues, you know? Um, But that, I don't know. I, I, I just really, I think, in today's day and age, if you are not doing some sort of strength conditioning program with your pole vaulters, you're really missing out. I don't, I don't think body weight stuff can just cut it. You know, I mean, I do every once in a while. I see like videos from like top tier programs around the country. I'm not going to name names, but I remember seeing like a fall training video and it was a sprint group yeah. and the dude was doing a 155 pound squat, a male sprinter, division one college, 155 pound box squat. And I'm like, this can't be real. Yeah. Like this, this can't be it. I mean, I guess you can get away with that if you got a guy coming into college who's already running the you know ten flat in the hundred. You can kind of just ease them into stuff. But in Division three, we, we can't afford that. We're getting a guy that's uh-huh. running like eleven four, and we, we need him sub ten. We don't have the time for that in three either. <laughs> yeah, you don't have that fall season or that non traditional where it's like okay, we have two or three meets before the uh, December season hits and indoor actually begins. And, right, right. Um, but I mean, like, even there, like we had said before, there's no secrets. Um, the one thing I really enjoy about the strength conditioning world is people, they let you see what they want you to see and what they <laughs> think is you want to know what's going on. Right. And, like, that, just that example of that 150-pound box squat, it's like, okay, you just showed us your recovery day. Right. And, and this is, you're just working through some aches and pains and keeping the blood flowing. And yeah. So I want to know what's going on on your max effort days, on your dynamic right. effort days. What's going on on your big training days, your heavy days. Yeah. But yeah. That, that's the information they never show you because it's, I, and like you said, we don't want to name names. We don't want to throw stuff out there, but it's, it's, it's always, they sh- they show you the sort the short end of stuff yeah and it's like guys I, 
I, I see what your kids look at. Like they're physical specimens. Right. Something's going on. You're, yeah. Do, you're moving weight somewhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. That that can't that can't be it. Exactly. Like you know, um, to to go a little bit more specifically with the strength and conditioning. I mean, I know uh, you know at my club, and I know a lot of people are probably still using like a linear progression. Mm-hmm. You know, we start with a high volume of reps and work down to a low volume. What do you guys do at Brockport? I mean, you're more of a West Side guy, right? Yeah, I'm. I'm a uh, a conjugate guy, uh, concurrent method, whatever they want to call it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, across the board, I, I use it with our track and field athletes. Um, pretty much uh, from the director's strength conditioning role that I'm in, um, male or female, whatever sports I'm working with, there's some kind of conjugated principle in their training. Um, and whether it be on a, a piece of equipment change, a percentage change, a piece of accommodating resistance change, a box height, cha- a box height change every two to three weeks and sets, reps, etc., just to keep that body guessing and mm-hmm. to allow always for progression right? and right. keeping it fresh and really allowing the athletes to train at their peak performance and preventing injury yeah, and to allow to just keep seeing the increased strength gains. And, um, but it all really around my philosophy, it just wraps around with the, the conjugate method. Yeah. I, I and mean, I know I get hammered often where, Oh, it's powerlifting. It's powerlifting. It's powerlifting. It's like, well, powerlifters train, they're training to be fast, right? Like, Powerlifting is not slow grinding movement. Yeah, you might see a lot of videos out there of 1,200-pound squats, 1,000-pound squats, 900-pound benches, 800-pound deadlifts. It might look, it might appear slow, but their intent is to move everything they have as fastly or as quick as they can. Right, and, and, and I, I almost think about it, it's like a, a rocket ship taking off. That looks like that rocket ship is moving very slowly in the beginning, Correct. but it's it, it's got to get itself going. Yes. That acceleration process yeah. is, is what you're seeing, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, I, I know with us, with, you know, doing stuff linear, I think it's great, especially in the beginning, like even year one, two, or three in training an athlete. And I, I tend to be very lucky. You guys are getting in freshman year at college I, at a club. I can sometimes work with someone over eight years. So... You know, I, I think it's fine, but I know personally and with some of my older athletes, I can see sometimes where the volume of just doing a linear progression, you start to see some hiccups and you start to see injuries, you know, and plateaus. Well, that's where I think you really, you have to allow the conjugated principle to work of constantly changing what's happening. Yeah. And if you're always going to use the same band tension or chain tension or the same amount of weight or the same apparatus repeating anything enough over time you're going to start to have those breakdown injuries and stuff gets stagnant and uh the effort drops off when the effort drops off is usually when the injuries start to happen too and um just allowing stuff to be constantly reworking around yeah and just even if it's simple as working at percentage of max training from starting as low as 50 and working through a number of weeks, going up 5% until you reach to 98% and you retest a training max. And now the bars change, the heights change, the percentage change. It might've been a band segment. Now it's a chain segment. If that's the stuff you're using, Mm -hmm. Um, just allowing everything to rotate and continually stay fresh 
um, is where I've really seen the most benefits of the West Side principle or uh, the conjugate principle. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I, I think, you know, some people that are obviously listening to this might be getting a little bit lost. Sure. Um, but I would definitely tell people, like, you have to do your research on the, on the lifting end a little bit. Like, I'm I'm not lost in everything that you're saying. You know, it's just just to simplify it for people that are listening, you know, if you're not familiar with the West Side uh, system, you know, you have your max effort days where you're kind of going all out with an exercise. You have your dynamic effort days where you're kind of going for speed. So you got to do a rep a second, you know, for yeah. – two to three reps depending on the exercise. And the thing is, you got to switch it up every couple weeks, switch something up. And it could be something as simple, like you said, as box height, yep. you know, with, with the squat. And I mean, I, like Andy was saying before to kind of bring him back in the conversation, you could see the difference in your athletes throughout the year as they're getting stronger. And it's, it's not something that happens overnight, you know, where I, I think a lot of times with like regular conditioning or body weight stuff, especially like VO2 max stuff, you could see kids getting in shape within two weeks and you think you've accomplished something amazing, but strength takes a little bit longer to see and you might yeah. not really notice it till the end of indoors when all of a sudden the kids are getting on much bigger poles. Um, I mean, is that traditionally like what you would see? Like by the end of an indoor season, you start to see that, that difference in them physically, let's say their freshman year. Yeah, some of the gains are uh, pretty quick, like you said. I mean, you can see some of them pretty quickly, but obviously it's a long-term thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you do see those and you try to line it up for championship times. I mean, we all try right. to, we are all trying to hit a peak, uh, somewhere near, you know, a championship time of the year, sometimes twice a year or three times of the year, you know, at the end we're trying to do your best. And obviously a lot of us are using that, obviously that indoor season to train for outdoor and really try to get even a bigger peak in that outdoor season. Yeah. Um, but the one thing I was thinking about, you guys were talking about, uh, the lifting and, and changing up the, you know, the lifts are doing that that muscle confusion, uh, along with the pole vaulters are, are goal oriented, right? Right. I mean, you, you think about it. Like we want to jump, you know, the higher heights all the time, going bigger poles all the time. Uh, so that's why the lifting is nice. It's complementary. I mean, you yeah. got okay. You know, I'm going to jump the best I can pole vaulting, but I'm also going to like the weight room is almost a whole other sport and a right. whole other way of like of just goals like. And so not to say the, I mean, the pole vault can be very frustrating. It's like, man, I've been jumping the same height all season. What do I got to do to get better? It's like, well, I'm in the weight room. It's like, well, I'm doing, you know, one more pull up than I did before. One more, whatever the, uh, you know, I added on five pounds, 10 pounds on my bench, whatever that is. And those are goals you accomplish too. So when you, you start tying those two things together, again, they complement each other. Uh, you have, I, I see people, you know, now they're excited about PRs in the weight room, just like they're excited well, about PRs. In in pole pole. Oh, right. Yeah, I, so. I was going to say, sometimes, like you said, it's that kid who's stuck at a pole vault plateau that the weight training, because it's so data oriented, and I think that's a huge thing. And I think, in, and we're, I'm going to ask you about this in the pole vault specifically, but it's so data driven that that gives them hope in the pole vault. They're like, well, I know I'm getting physically better. So if I just stick with this, I'm going to PR in the pole vault as well. And I think that's huge where a lot of people who maybe are just doing some body weight type stuff or only jumping that kid plateaus in the pole vault, they're going to feel hopeless at, at some point and kind of give up, you know? And, and, and I think the strength training is a huge way to keep them motivated, to keep them, keep them going. And you know, it's just a matter of time. If they're physically better, they're going to PR. And then on the reverse end, I think it's those kids that like, Hey man, you used to, you used to squat 350 and, uh, now your squats 295. Like, you think that has something to do with the reason you're not jumping so high now? You know? Yeah. So it's, it's, 
it kind of gives the coach more data and more kind of evidence to back up to tell the kid like, hey, this is the problem right now, you know? Um, so I guess, Andy, what I want to ask you now is like going off of this idea of data and having like kind of reasons why you are going to PR or maybe reasons why you're not ready. What do you think are important pieces of data for pole vault training? Like as a pole vault coach, what are things that you look at? Is it grip? Is it pole? Uh, takeoff marks, mid marks? Like what, what do you kind of do? And I'm sure also there's a lot as you work with athletes, you can eyeball certain things. You can just see the runway speed kind of going away. But yeah, that um, it's it's definitely multifaceted with the, all the different parts coming together. Um, I mean, you can like you said, you can see the. Um, I mean, I'm looking for a lot of it lately has been mental too. I mean, the the mental state, like you're on the back of that runway, coming down the runway, like you can see vaulters that are. You know, excited to be there, or hungry to be there, and you also have ones you think that are, you know, are scared, and yeah. uh, you you just can can't be scared on that runway. You got to be excited about it. Obviously, we want it to be a fun but competitive atmosphere. So it's you're seeing those things as a coach, um, seeing the we talk about all the gains in the weight room. You know, it really is multifaceted with those different parts all coming together. I mean, they got to be happy with the school. They got to be happy happy academically and doing things I love there, and then the confidence level, especially for the females. I mean. Uh, a lot of coaches could probably agree. You see a lot of women or even our girls come in from high school that are still kind of like high school girls that develop into women with uh, a, a very a confidence about them because, well, the weight training, they know they're getting stronger. They yeah. feel good about themselves. You know, their self-esteem is now higher than it was before. And as a coach, you pick up on those things, you know. Uh, and, and a lot of times when those things start lining up, you do start getting those better performances. Um you know, when I'm looking at certain, you know, said takeoff fights and, or grips and marks and things like that, I mean, it depends on the size of the vaulter, obviously. So I cater that to, you know, we got, you know, sometimes at the D3 level, we have some girls that are not very tall. Yeah. And yeah. And it's like, <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to do for that particular person, you know, um, I'm going to say, you know, where their, you know, their takeoff step is, we may try to get that out a little bit further, get their grip up a little further eventually when, when they're efficient for the way they're jumping, you know, if they're, we, you know, in the pole vault, a lot of times we like to try to jump over our hand grip, you know, so it's like if we're having a hold yeah. at 11 feet, uh, we'd like to jump over 11 feet, if not higher. And, um, you know, just setting those, those personal goals, uh, you start seeing those things come together. And um, that's usually when we start to see some really nice gains in the pole vault. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I know for me, at, at, you know, when I'm watching kids jump and stuff, like one of the things that I kind of uh, take notice of is always mid marks. Because I feel as that mid starts to bump out, I know that kid is carrying more speed into the pit and they're going to be able to handle bigger poles and they sh- should be PR and vice versa. If I see that mid start coming in, you know, I, I know they're slowing down. So I, that's one of the things that with the pole vault that I try to keep track of and have data because I think without it, it's like you're kind of like it, it's too cloudy. You're not, not sure what's going on. And I, I like to use it with the kids to be able to point out like, look, this is why you're doing better. This is why it's not working out. Um, and I, and I feel like that's so, so important. And I know like with you, Andy, you're like so meticulous, you know, I, I've, I've gone to your clinic a couple times, helped out and just everything that you lay out for, for the clinic. And then knowing how you work with your kids, it's so important to be at that level, be that meticulous so that the kids know, like, I know you kind of like glanced over it, but I'm sure all your kids realize the the standard that you expect with them. Like you said, if a girl's gripping 11, you really want that 11 foot clearance you know, and you, you probably tell her where you think she should take off from. And like you said, if they're short, it's probably going to be a little bit further out. Um, 
Well, there, there's some there's some other benchmarks, you know, uh, hearing you talk about that. You know, we'll uh, you know, a vaulter and a vault coach. Like, it's it's nice to have the grills be able to you know swing on the rings, uh, do some gymnastic stuff. Like, you know, we're not not that I you don't do a lot of giants, but just being able to swing on the high bar, uh, be able to do bubkas and stuff. I mean, those are some of the body weight things we do. But well, right, um, even there, it's like they have to be able to do that. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's part of the sport. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for uh, well, even some knowledge of the sport. I mean, not that they have to know a ton about it, but it's like you know, it's good to know. Uh, well, I said where those grips are, what poles are going to do what, a little bit about how they're made, even just uh, that's and that when we do that clinic. The kids get to um, help all the other high school kids learn how to pull vault, and it also helps you on them helping out as coaches helps to develop their own knowledge in the pole vault. So it's like yeah, you understand I mean, the sport even better when you're teaching it to somebody else. Yeah, that um, because that that's a higher level of learning when you're you're able to demonstrate and teach someone that that shows that you have a higher level understanding of the event itself, and that that's always a, a great thing. Um, I I guess another thing that and you know I wanted to touch upon well. You know, we talked about standards, you know what I mean? Like, what do you think is a sign of proficiency? Like, what what is proficient in the pole vault? This is a, like, kind of question I always ask people. It's like, what what is your idea of proficiency? Because I think a lot of times, unfortunately, people look at pole vault, they look at whether you won or lost and what bar you cleared. But I feel like there's a lot more behind that than what, what I just said. There's more to it than just the bar and whether you won or lost. Like, what do you think are, are signs of proficiency when you see a good vault? Like, what do, what do you what do you envision in your head? Well, I, I would probably first start with, um, you know, the let's say the way the vault looks, but executing a technical vault with, you know, a strong, t- well, you know, a great, you know, great posture coming down the runway, uh, accelerating, you know, through the takeoff, great takeoff. Good timing, you know, like the vaulter being ready to jump and having the arms ready. Um, you know, the depending on what pole vault model you're using, you know, with their takeoff, like how you want them to look, or and everybody does have a little variation sometimes that's mm-hmm. a technique, but something in general you're looking for. Uh, them being a, to execute parts of those vault well, uh, you know, and then again clearing a bar that's somewhere near your hand grip, or sometimes we do some high bungee training where you know we're gonna say, hey, you know. Well, I'm going to work on the very top end of my vault. I'm going to go for a bungee that's like ridiculously high. Mm-hmm. And, and that's nice to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm holding on at, yeah, say 12 feet or something, but I'm, I'm wrapping over the top of a 16 foot bungee. Right. Yeah. So, so I like, I like to see those things in the vault. We do also do like, um, you know, 30 and 60 meter time trials. Uh, awesome. Kind of just to, uh, you know, it's another competitive portion of it where the vaulters are going to see how fast they are without poles. We also do like pole races where we actually okay. kind of race each other with poles. And the funny thing about that is it gets you, you know, some of the guys are just naturally faster than others. Now, some of the freshmen will try to keep up with them, push yeah. themselves a little faster with the pole. Um, and it makes it a competitive atmosphere versus. And I'm, I'm sure it's know. interesting, too, as you're developing them, that some of them maybe are super fast, but their pole carry is so inefficient that once they, they go from just the basic sprint to running with the pole, you see that they're not carrying that same speed, you know? The funny thing about about that is we have some people that, because we do so many pole runs, I swear they're faster with a pole in their hand <laughs> than without a pole. And you're yeah. like, there's been multiple athletes, I'm like, you put a pole in their hand, they're running faster than when they let go of the pole and they're just running without a pole. They're so comfortable running fast. Yeah, well, that and, and that that's huge what you just said too, is like making sure that you do enough of those pole runs that you have an efficient carry. I mean, it, gosh, I mean, I, I can't believe even at the national level, I'll see kids who 
their pull carries are awful. You know, they're, they're, if they're, they're bottom hand, the wrist is down. You know, they're carrying the bulk of the weight on their muscular system instead of their skeletal system. And it's taking away from the runway speed, 100%. They, they're studs, so they overcome it and can still jump a, a good bar. But it's just, it's a shame to see kids do that when they can probably run a yeah, little bit that, faster. That's that efficient, efficiency we've talked about, you know, uh, if you're efficient in the, with the run mechanics, with pole carry, and you're putting yourself in a better situation to jump higher, or at least, you know, and it may not happen exactly when you want it to, but you have a much greater chance or even opportunity for that to happen. Right, right. Um, I, the other thing that kind of came up and we were talking about it is it's funny how no matter what, like, you know, we just talked about strength and conditioning, we're talking about technique, and, and you kind of touching upon it earlier is how important the psychological aspect of coaching is too. That, that trust between, you know, athlete and coach, uh, you know, what do you guys think? Like, how do you develop that trust with your athletes and how do you deal with it if sometimes maybe you're in a situation where you feel like you're losing that trust a little bit? Like, what, what do you do with kids, you know? I mean, just try to keep reiterating the system, keep showing them progress, uh, progress that had come before them, progress that might be going on with their current teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, some kids just get in a rut. I mean, they, we, you got to find what works to get them out of that funk. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially being in a program with some tradition, you yeah. have archived files, of right. training programs and methodologies and videos. And it's like, we didn't just make this up last night. Like, <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah. we've been working on this for years and it's tried and true. And it's like, okay. And, I've always found you even start to have those conversations of really just educating the kids on everything that you do do within the program so you can have, it's not so much of a questioning anymore, it's an education for each of this is what we do and why, and how can we actually have a conversation and expand on it. Right. So they're, they're, asked, they're, they're asking questions for improvement, not asking questions of challenging or just flat out question like right, I don't right, trust right. this why are we doing this right so you could at least help educate them on both sides of it um and I think I, I even mentioned it with even in the weight room I mean the, just the, the same buy-in mm-hmm. getting kids to buy in that there is a, a valid thought process going into this like I, I I'm never going to purposely ambush you right you right know, there, there's a goal and a focus whether it's long term short term weekly just the very next practice. I mean, there, there, there's a rhyme and a reason for what we're doing. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's so interesting because sometimes you can, you can even have an athlete that you get to nationals. You know, I've had this happen to me where all of a sudden they're questioning everything. It's like, we're on the same team, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I helped you get there and I want to help you get even further, you yeah. know, but I think education is definitely a, a big part of it is like, if you can get them to understand why they're doing what they're doing, yep. it's, it's a lot easier conversation, you know? Um, what about you, Andy? Uh, one, one thing that works really well, I mean, uh, with the goal orientation with a lot of pole vaulters and even other athletes, we want to attain certain goals. Um, we write out season goals, you know, um, short-term goals, long-term goals, weight room goals, pole vault goals, you know, uh, and we started doing that a couple years back. We actually write them, you know, physically write up a document that says, you know, I'm Andy Fetzner. This is my training. You know, mm-hmm. this is what I'm doing for this season. These are the goals I'd like to do with my, you know, again, vaulting, uh, even, even physical or mental goals, 
you know, like you realize that your shortcomings in a pole vault a lot of times are, well, every time I attempt a new lifetime best, I kind of fall apart a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, next time I'm attempting a lifetime best, I want to take two solid attempts at that height or even th- like three really good attempts where like, I'm not giving up mentally. Like I'm going at this, like I'm going to make it. Um, and- right, right. You, Cause I mean, look, I, and I'm usually very big on like, I almost don't want to talk about psychology until very, very later in a, a Walter's career, but you see it. A kid will get to a PR bar and run through twice. Yeah. And there was nothing wrong. They weren't tired. They didn't take a lot of jumps yet. Like, you know, you, you maybe even had them open a little higher so that they'd have fresh legs for that later bar and they still run through twice. So, yeah, it's like that That even is a goal. It's like, hey, listen, let's not even worry about clearing the bar. Let's just take attempts. If we take attempts, that's that's a win already. And, you know, hopefully steers that kid in the right direction to, to kind of buy in, you know. Yeah, the, the high bungees help with that too where like we'll set those bungees up nice and high. Um, we actually have the ability to do some uh, rope vaulting at a very high level. So we're able to jump over like 21-foot bungees at a big okay. rope swing. So you just you push the limits a little bit physically. But, I mean, the, again, the, the writing down of the goals is nice for us. We were talking about tradition a little mm-hmm. bit like, uh, like Ed was saying that, you know, we didn't just make this up overnight. Uh, this comes from a tradition of vaulters. You know, we're saying – you get to look back and say, what did, what did Zach Ferreira write down in his goals, you know, back in 2013? And you look through those goals, you're like, as an athlete now, you're like, wow, that's what he, that's what he was doing? Yeah. And that's what he wanted to do? I mean, I want to do the same thing. And, right. it, and, and then I don't encourage the kids to copy it. It's more or less like, look what he was doing, look where you are, and let's see what it's going to take to fill in those gaps. Or maybe there's certain things, again, he was, you know, there's things that he was strong at and things that he, were, he was weak at, you know, a lot of guys are similar. Some guys have different needs. Um, in the in the psychological portion, we got into a little bit with a lot of the women. Um, for me, sometimes it's almost like the power of suggestion. I almost have to, you know, as coaches, we always are praising, you know, encouraging mm-hmm. the athletes. Right. Like I had this one particular vaulter. I, I'd come in and I tell her almost every day, I'm like, "You are an 11 foot pole vaulter." Yeah. And they and they then look at me like, "What are you talking about, coach?" I'm like, "No, you're an 11 foot pole vaulter. Yeah. No, you are." And and they and you know girls and guys tend to doubt themselves, but you kind of have to think like if you want to jump those heights, you got to know that you're going to jump it and yeah, think you, you're going to jump it. Yeah, you certainly have. You have to believe. And and it's funny how humbling it is or inspiring when you know let's say you look at Zach Ferrara's you know goals from when he was probably a freshman. But like I think of always uh, there's one quote I remember reading about Bubka where he was like, oh, I never thought I was going to jump higher than three meters sixty. He was stuck at eleven nine. And it's like, this is the guy that would end up jumping 20 feet. Yeah. And he's talking about, I just, I don't know if I could jump 12, you know? So it, it gives, I, hopefully everybody hope that, you know, you just you got to keep working through it. Um, but again, it, it's sometimes you still, you get that kid that, that can be difficult. And I think, like you said, having those goal sheets and having that data, you can show that kid like, look, we made this much progress already. You know, you can see the goals because I know even with strength and conditioning too, oh, it's, it's big on my kids. Like I make them take different. notes because I always tell them, look, your first like couple months of lifting, you're going to see such huge gains. You don't need to write it down almost, you think. Mm-hmm. But the reason you need to write it down is so that next year or two years down the road when you think you're having a bad season, you can look back and be like, oh, wait, I'm way ahead of last fall. Yep. You know? And I mean, that's even one thing. It's funny you say that. I mean. The strength gains are going to come really quick in the beginning. Yeah. The improvement of form and understanding of the technique alone. Right. You're going to see vast strength right. gains. Okay. 
not even just then the neuromuscular adaptation, you're mm. going to see another strength gain there. Um, and then just adapting the weight training to you physically getting stronger. Right. And I, it's the same thing I've been said to the throwers uh, too with them. When you don't throw far, PRs happen really often. Probably right. every week, every yeah. meet. And it's like, and then you start getting that, that sophomore junior area of career. It's like, why are you, I used to PR all the time. It's like, Okay, well, you were a 13-meter shot putter. Now you're an 18-meter shot putter. Like, right. They're, the, the, the progression the, the, slows. Exactly. And yeah. it's like now you really have to be meticulous about what you're doing and the, and the why you're doing. Right. Well, that, that's just like in the pole vault. You oh, know, totally. when, when a kid first starts working with a, with a coach like Andy, you know, they're going to see progress very quickly. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, that kid, before you know it, is planning his ticket to the Olympics, you know, because uh, he he or she thinks that's how quickly it's going to happen. Oh. But that progress slows. Like you said, it's like if a 12, 6, 13-foot boy comes in, hey, that 13 to 15 feet might happen very quickly. But once you're in that 16, 16, 6 range, now everything has to be planned out in a very meticulous way, like you said. You know, the, the strength training has to be planned out. The technical work has to be planned out. I'm sure you spent many a nights probably sitting down with Zach or, or your various vaulters over the years saying, okay, what, what are we really going to focus on this season? Is it the takeoff? Is it the approach? Do we have to add a, a left to the approach? Maybe do we have to come back in? You know, there's a lot of angles that, and you have to plan it out. And when you don't, that's when things are really going to start to fall apart. Because then talking about back to the psychology end, that's where a kid's going to start downing themselves and downing maybe the program. And that's why all that is so, so important. Um, you know, I, it just, it, to me, it's crazy. And this, in today's, you know, track and field world, if you're not really planning on that kind of level, I just, I don't see how you can think that you're going to make that continued progress. Cause like you said, at a certain level, it's going to get tougher and tougher for those PRs. Um, was there anything else that you guys wanted to add like that, that you think would be really important on this podcast? First of all, th thanks again for being on here. I mean, this was great. Um, yeah, I think one thing that a lot of coaches, or what was fun for me as a younger coach at the time, like was the creativity. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, for me, it was an idea. Like, I mean, I can't, I'm sure a lot of other pole vault coaches can relate. I mean, we're in the garage, like, you know, cutting up stuff, making, you know, uh, I have this thing called the pole vault skateboard. Yeah. And it's like pretty much like a mechanics creeper. And we do the pole vault, you know, the, the third phase of the vault or the top of the vault you know, on a horizontal plane versus a vertical plane. Mm -hmm. And that was just something like, you know, how, how are we going to work on that part of the vault without the adverse effects of gravity? You know, right. and like, uh, you know, they sell pulley systems out there, but at the time we just didn't have enough money to buy one. So we just made one. Right. Like go right, to, right. You know, you go to the big box store, you buy a, a cable and you buy a piece of PVC or a piece of pipe and you make a pulley system to work on the top of your vault and figure out somewhere to rig it up. Uh, you know, go at the time before CrossFit was big, like we used gymnastic ring. We find rings and places and make our own gymnastic rings. You know, uh, you know, we have, we actually have a nice, a great gymnastics facility to use. Um, although sometimes it's just hard with, you know, class schedules and stuff, but mm -hmm. the creativity as a coach, I, I encourage young coaches and even older coaches to revisit, like, what did, what are the things you can do, you know, creativity wise, like, you know, things you can make, things you can do, um, to show the vaulters, you know, good technical jumps, uh, ways to improve where, you know, maybe it's on a down day where you had a, 
you know, it was a, a hard workout one day and the next day you need a little recovery, but you're still doing pole vault specific movements. Right. Um, and, and those kind of things, it was, it's fun as a coach to connect with that where you're, you're making things, you know, we do a lot of pool vaulting um, mm-hmm. and simply made some devices in the pool that are, cost a couple dollars that essentially are huge in value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of, you know, you can make things that are safe to do away from the pole vault and have a huge payoff. Um, so I, like I said, I encourage coaches and, and you see, and now with the cool thing with social media, a lot of coaches are posting those videos of like, Oh, look at this training device. Right. Look at this. So we share a lot of ideas, but at the same time it's, and it's nice to share them, but be creative yourself. Think about like the part, your vaulter is like, you know, a lot of like, you got to move your hands or you got to uh, jump off the runway. You got to do things like, so if we can tr- continue to keep practice fresh and, you know, energetic and, and challenge the vaulters, um, Actually, a video I just saw the other day. Um, there, Sam Kendricks has the 550 challenge there, right? With, right. with Mondo Duplantis, and that, that's a fun video. But and I'll be like, yo, coach, I can't jump 18 feet. The thing would be okay. So well, we let's said, back it off. Yeah, if your PR is 15, let's do 14. Yeah, what's, how many what's times can you do that? 14 feet and make it a bunch of times, and and that builds a lot of confidence. Being you know, Mondo's had an incredible season. He obviously is at a huge high with confidence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine being, you know, whether you're a high school girl or guy and you have that kind of confidence, how well you can do. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's well and, awesome. and, and also to go off the creativity and like I think, you know, you have to be creative in your circumstance. Like you might have mentioned stuff like even like a pool vault where someone's like, Well, we don't have a pool. But you can figure out something in your situation where, like you said, on an off day, you can still do something pole vault specific that's not gonna be abusive on the body but still has the kids learning those motor patterns, you know? Um, any closing words, Ed? No, I mean, just to jump on the same thing a bit of be creative. Um, I mean, always keep things changing. Uh, start slow, find some early success to build on, and just keep getting kids going in the right direction of keeping them successful, um, knowing that there are going to be some sticking points, there are going to be some hard points in what you're doing, but keep them involved to the point of asking questions, helping them guide them with some education, let them do a little bit of studying on their own, find that linkage of this is what we're doing and why. Oh, okay. I got it. So they could actually join in on the conversation of it. They're not just being told anymore. Now they actually have some ownership of, man, I kind of found an exercise that really works for me or part of a, a drill or technique that I've really taken kind of ownership to. And having that back and forth communication, mm-hmm. um, but just just finding the simple things that allow some success early on to keep them coming back and bought in, and um, like Andy had said, that that young level of creativity. Um, I think you can continue to have that creative spark through your entire career. Yeah, and it just it just gives those kids something special to latch onto and yeah. just continue to go forward with. So. Well, look, awesome podcast. Uh, again, thank you guys. Thanks for having um, us, man. Yeah, I definitely probably need to do separate podcasts too where, you know, on both ends, me and Andy can go really off into pole vault world and, and yeah. we can talk strength and conditioning, sure. Ed. Uh, so hopefully we'll do that sometime in the future. Um, I hope everybody enjoys the national uh, weekend. And, uh, you know, make sure you're lifting and have some data to back up your training. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Bye, guys.